This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice, and all the latest developments in human resource management. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of HR in Review. I'm Amelia Brand, your host for today, and today we're talking all things about women in the workplace. We're firstly joined by Agnieszka Kasperska, who's a research assistant and a PhD candidate at the University of Warsaw in Poland. Her last few publications concern the topic of working from home and its impact on careers. I'm then joined by Alyssa Dobson, who's an accredited executive menopause mindset and leadership coach and co-founder of Mission Menopause, which provides coaching, training and support to organisations who want to break down the taboo of menopause and create an inclusive and supportive workforce for all. So today we're going to be talking about whether remote work has a negative impact on the career development of women. Uh, With remote working having become much more popular post-lockdowns, it's an increasingly important conversation to have. So firstly, do you think that working from home impacts career prospects? And if so, in what way? I think working from home can impact careers, but it doesn't have to. So working from home can impact careers through diminished informal learning, mentoring and networking opportunities, which is pretty much linked to the fact that interpersonal contacts are a little bit impaired when we work from home, or at least they can be. And then those who work from home also risk being less visible in the workplace due to the lack of their physical presence in the office. And this can often lead to receiving fewer training and development opportunities, which have clear impact on career progression. However, as I said, working from home can impact careers, but it doesn't have Mm. to. And whether it happens will depend on a plethora of organizational conditions, perhaps also country context and certain individual characteristics of the employees. So if there are good organizational strategies and practices in place, and we're talking about an employee who lives in a country where working from home is normalized, perhaps he or she will not be as disadvantaged while working from home. But individual characteristics such as gender or parenthood status can also play a role. So therefore, it's difficult to put all remote workers into the same bag. And I can definitely say that there are career risks that home-based workers face, but there are also certain mitigating Mm. strategies that can be put in place. Yeah, exactly. And also, um, I understand you've done quite a lot of research on what the future of work looks like for women, right? So, um, you know, would you like to tell us a little bit about this research and how you've gone about it? Yes, of course. Thank you. So I recently finished a research project which looked at the link between working from home and career prospects from gender and parenthood perspectives. I analysed a large sample of approximately 20,000 employees from 35 different European countries. And I actually explored whether those who work from home report hindered career prospects. I think the findings are pretty interesting. Um, They actually reveal that those, that mothers working from home often actually report worse career prospects than mothers who work from the Mm. office. And The findings also indicate that gender gap in reported career prospects is wider for parents who work from home often as compared to those who do so sporadically or who work Mm. from the office. So the gender gap actually appears even when it comes to workers who work from the office, but it means that men are more likely by only five percentage points to report better career prospects. And that gap 
the gender gap increases to approximately 16 percentage points when it comes to those who work from home. And that kind of implies a certain level of motherhood penalty mm-hmm. that we can see in the results um, of the findings that I get. Yeah, I mean, it's super interesting. So, you know, in that case, what do you what about for women who are not mothers? Do you think working from home would have a, se- a similar negative impact on them, too? So when it comes to results of my study, it appears that childless women do not really experience worse outcomes when working from home often. So there is no evidence from my side mm. that could suggest that women who are not mothers are equally disadvantaged and therefore I kind of suggest or perhaps hypothesize that there is a certain level of Mm. motherhood penalty uh, combined with the flexibility stigma attached to the use of working uh, from home. I mean in that case it's kind of tricky right so you know what do you think organizations could do in this sense then do you think do you think working from home should be avoided? Um, Certainly not so um I was actually once asked by one of my colleagues and he asked me a question whether the implication of my research findings is that mothers should stop working from home. And my answer is no, I don't think so. I don't think mothers should change anything. I actually think the employers and the societal attitudes should change. Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, the results they obtained, they actually are a result of a combination of the flexibility stigma and the motherhood penalty. So flexibility stigma is a belief that workers who use flexible working arrangements are somehow less productive or less committed to the workplace, especially if they use flexible working arrangements for care purposes. And I think if the use of flexible working arrangements is normalized, there is no bias towards workers who use them. And there are also clear organizational strategies in place to help working parents and flexi employees Mm -hmm mothers who work from home will not be so disadvantaged in such a situation. So it's really not the mothers that should change something, but it's the perception of mothers that needs to change. Okay, I see. So, you know, kind of talking more about responsibility then, if you think employers might have some sort of responsibility, how do you think they could offer support in in this scenario? Yes, I do think they have a pretty large responsibility in this case. So first of all, it will be through providing actually access to working from home. And then the second, making sure it's used Mm. doesn't harm employees or their careers. So it starts with access to to a wide choice of flexi working arrangements, which are actually really important for some employees. And that includes parents and mothers, for example, who may have to come into the office at a later time or work from home on a certain day because the child is sick or they just have to care for it on that day. And I think encouraging employees to participate in working from home will normalize um, the use of this mode of work and kind of minimize the pressure on physical visibility in the workplace. Definitely organizations will also have to redefine the measures of commitment and success and of this idea who Mm. a really good worker is. Because at the moment, the key indicators are really hours worked and indicators linked to the physical visibility in the workplace. So progression and career paths within a company should be clear, clearly designed. Um, they should include also the possibility to use flexi work arrangements, even for more senior roles, which is often not really the case. 
And then, of course, on the top of that, there will be the technicalities that are related to the remote work and also the provision of alternative modes of communication and so on. And last, but definitely not least, and I think this relates not only to organizations, but also to a bigger societal change. So I think it's important that we question those very rigid gender norms and advocate that working and providing care, which is also work, by the way, um, are responsibilities of both men and women. Otherwise, it will be quite difficult to progress in the workplace with gender equality at least I think so that's super interesting and you know kind of touching on that then do you think the impact of working from home or on careers varies across different countries yes I think it does so actually in my research I explore whether in countries where working from home is Mm. more prevalent so I explore whether employees report different career prospects in those countries when they work from home And I group countries into two categories. They are the high prevalence of working from home, which means that the percentage of employees working from home compared to the overall population of workers is bigger than 15%. And that's because the range of employees working from home in Europe ranges from 5% to approximately 35%, and the average is 15. So when I group countries into two categories, There is a category of high prevalence of working from home, and that's above 15%. And this is predominantly Mm. Nordic and Western parts of Europe. And then the other group um, are countries with low prevalence of working from home. And these are predominantly the Eastern and Southern parts of Europe. And now the prevalence of working from home depends on many factors. These can be, for example, the level of economic and technological development, but it could also be the managerial culture and let's say the level mm. of trust that there is in the society. But going back to uh, results of the study, so I find actually that mothers who work from home often report worse career prospects than those working in the office in countries where working from home is less prevalent. And we don't really see such results in countries where working from home is more prevalent. I think the reason for this could be that flexibility stigma attached to the use of working from home can be stronger in countries Mm. with lower prevalence of working from Mm. home. So to put it simply, in those countries, working from home is not really normalized. Therefore, working mothers who use those modes of work may be more punished for this. And I think one thing that is good to point out in here when I speak about those results, so this division of countries north and west versus east and south, it also reflects different aspects, different, well, other differences. And that would be, for example, the difference in the levels of gender equality, as well as access to formal childcare services. And these can be actually very important in explaining the results of my research. So why actually mothers see worse career career prospects when working from home. Therefore, it's not only the prevalence of working from home, but also other country level differences that can play a role in assessing the link between working from home and career prospects. Okay, thank you very much. Super, super interesting. And just to wrap up then, I have two more questions for you. 
which we ask all of our guests on our HR Review podcast. The first is, if you could pass on one crucial lesson that you've learned in your HR career in one minute or less, uh, what would be your top tip for other HR pros? I would definitely suggest evidence-based strategies and policies to be implemented in the company. There's nothing better than following the research that has been done and following the really good advice that there is. So evidence-based practice. (laughs) Nice. And lastly, what is the single biggest change you think will happen in HR over the next five to ten years? Um, I think it's definitely, you know, the future of work, automation, Mm. robotization, kind of digitalization as well. But this shift of a paradigm of the narrative towards the quality of employment and towards treating workers as, you know, Mm. human beings that really do deserve very good, high-quality jobs And I think it requires certain aspects at the moment, like work-life balance, flexibility, increased levels of autonomy. So I think as a HR community, we will have to step up our game and make sure we provide for this. Mm -hmm, Totally. Well, great. Thank you so much for coming on. It was really great to have you on. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you for inviting me. If you have any comments on the HR and Review podcast, would like to suggest a topic or speaker, or provide other feedback, you can contact us using the email podcast at hrreview.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you. Hi, Alyssa. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. So firstly, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the reasons behind why you're striving for greater menopausal awareness in the workplace? Absolutely. So yeah, my name's Alyssa Dobson and I have uh, recently set up a business called Mission Menopause with my co-founder Caroline Walters. And that came about because we have both um, separately had experiences from our corporate jobs that led us to recognise that menopause was an impact on both our own lives, but also on, well, hundreds of thousands of of other people and women within the workforce. So, uh, yeah, it's um, become our passion and it's what we are working towards is is getting a change Mm. of the conversation. Nice. Amazing. Um, so firstly, why don't you just outline for our listeners what sort of symptoms women experience that, that really affect their performance in the workplace? Well, this is the thing that um, before I became an executive menopause coach, I had no idea how many symptoms there were. I'd sort of grown up just understanding that it was pretty much hot flushes, which mm. touch wood I've never had, but my mum spent years having hot flushes. Uh, but actually it's such a combination of things, including uh, brain fog, exhaustion, joint pain, anxiety and depression, and even things like low libido, which, you know, obviously <laughs> we don't like to talk about, but it can really affect, you know, both our personal um you know, our own relationships, but our our feelings within the workplace as well. So, yeah, there's so many symptoms that really do affect us. Yeah, that's great to hear because I really do feel like it's something that's really misunderstood in a sense. So how how has menopause personally impacted your career? Well, quite dramatically, actually. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I actually only realised in the, you know, past couple of years that 
my career was ended because of menopause. Mm. So I had held quite senior roles in the healthcare um, uh, space for you know nearly two decades. I'd always been able to multitask and manage, you know, big budgets and walk into a room full of confidence and, you know, remember so many things. And over a period of time, I I started losing my confidence. I would be sat in meetings thinking, I can't remember that person's name and I'd worked with them for 10 years. I was getting horrific brain fog and anxiety that I put down to actually having a massive breakdown, Um, Mm. but it led me to actually walking out of my my career, um, unfortunately. And whenever I spoke to, you know, any healthcare professionals or occupational health or anyone else, the only thing that was discussed was anxiety and depression. It was never related to the hormonal journey that I was on. And I was, you know, late 40s at the time. And it took me a few years to recognise that Mm. all those symptoms were related to my perimenopause journey. So yeah, it it has really directly affected my my personal uh, career. But at the time, I thought I was on on my own. And I now recognise that I actually became one of the one in 10 women who who do leave their careers because of menopause, which is a frightening statistic. Um, Totally. And definitely something we need to change. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So obviously, you know, from the work you do then, what do you think the other challenges are that many women face with their employers when going through menopause? Oh, I think I th- one of the key problems is obviously education and understanding. Um, as, a, as a female, we get really no education about what to expect with the menopause we think it's an age-related thing, but actually it's a hormonal-related journey. So you can't just look at somebody and say, oh, you know, they're of an age that, you know, would be menopausal because lots of younger women um, will go through early menopause or be affected due to surgery or uh, medication. So there's a real stigma because we don't talk about it. And it's such a sensitive and personal time of a woman's life that when it is already a, a, a sensitive subject, but then it sort of becomes this taboo topic yeah. within the workplace. We hide it even more. Um, so it, it really has, you know, has an effect on women um, because there is no general conversation in the workplace. Um, and a lot of employers don't understand it either, which, you know, will continue the problem with being a a taboo subject if there's no general conversation Mm. about it. Great well we're kind of leading on from that then Um, I'm aware that you encourage women to embrace their menopause so how do you think that we can best educate HR teams then to support their staff around menopause and and you know how how do you think this might fit into conversations about inclusive work cultures? Oh, that's such a an important topic <laughs> at the moment. So it really is about normalising the conversation and education because you know we can't rely on Dr. Google. Um, <laughs> there is so much, <laughs> so much sort of misinformation out there, and there is no one size yeah. fits all. Um, yeah. You know, we I do a lot of work with. Uh, organizations and whether it's the senior leadership teams or the staff 
actually it's just about starting that conversation and you know making making people feel comfortable about talking about menopause and that includes men as well and you know I get so many men come up to me and just say you've just described my wife of 25 years you know I, I don't understand what's going on but once you start talking about it and you start understanding you know that by education and engaging in the conversation you can start to spot the signs you can um it normalizes what's going on because all females, anyone born with ovaries mm. is going to go through mm. some form of menopause. And then it's becomes so much easier to start to identify, you know, what sort of help and support each individual person may need. Uh, so it, it's about listening and normalizing mm. that conversation, but through mm. workshops and support groups and, you know, just signposting of information information makes such a huge difference totally yeah okay then let's talk about staff retention then um I know you listed a couple of things um just then but but what sort of changes do you think need to happen in the workplace so companies can retain staff going through menopause um obviously with the, with the great resignation that we're seeing now it's it's more important than ever <laughs> to to you know work on retaining your staff absolutely and um, one of the key things is uh, women of menopausal age, so although I say it's a hormonal issue, not an age issue, you know, typically women will be between about 45 and 55 when they're, they're facing uh, perimenopause and menopause. And actually women of that age in the UK is the fastest growing demographic in the workplace. So we've got this near perfect storm where we've got more and more women coming into the work, workforce but actually they're the ones being affected by menopause. So organisations are actually having to recognise that they have to create that support system. So it's about normalising it. it. You know, I take it as the example of pregnancy and maternity leave. You wouldn't not talk about that because it is so normal now. And when menopause needs to be part of that conversation. So it needs to be included in the policies and guidelines. And that doesn't necessarily mean having specific menopause policies. It does mean consideration of what how menopause fits into existing policies and guidelines, thinking about reasonable adjustments, and, you know, getting that message out there so that you know, when you are looking at, at recruiting staff, they recognise that you have got a menopause-friendly workplace, which I think is really, really key at the moment. Mm, great. Thank you for that. So finally, we ask all of our guests on the HR In Review podcast two questions. So firstly, if you could pass on one crucial lesson you've learned in your HR career in one minute or less, what would be your top tip for other HR pros? Oh, I would say listen and be open. I think we are so we're so good at not listening sometimes and just sort of following a path, but listening because actually the answers lie within most what most people sort of know within themselves. So listen, be open, be flexible, and you know just embrace what people are, which is really really wanting to make change and positive change I think would be my my top tip great great um and lastly then what is the single biggest change you think will happen in HR over the next five to ten years 
Well, I'm going to be a little, um, you know, personal on this one because my my hope is that menopause becomes part of the everyday conversation. It becomes a protected characteristic, mm-hmm. and women feel that they're able to nav- navigate their own personal menopause journey and feel engaged and educated and empowered through it. You know, it, it has to happen because yeah. this is such an important part of a woman's life and journey and actually we spend so much time in the workplace that we have to embrace it so yeah exactly I love your optimism and I really do hope that we see this change absolutely (laughs) well thanks Alyssa it was great to have you on that's amazing thank you so much the HR and review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk hrreview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in-depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HRReview or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.